Hi, I'm Kobe Greer. Welcome to the Resilience Podcast. There are many benefits for owning a pet. Have you ever heard of the pet effect? It refers to the mutually beneficial relationship that forms between people and their pets, such as increased fitness, reduced blood pressure, reduced feelings of loneliness, and expanded opportunities to connect with others, to name a few. To speak more about this positive mutual bond between humans and dogs particularly, I welcome Karen Rhodes from the Dogs Refuge Home WA. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Kobe. Thanks (laughs) for inviting me. Karen is the president of the Dogs Refuge Home WA, located in Shenton Park. The Dogs Refuge Home was established in 1935 and is one of the oldest animal welfare organisations in Australia, saving over 1,300 dogs every year and is an integral part of the West Australian community. Their fundamental belief is that dogs are entitled to the same love and respect they unconditionally give us. The home's motto is rescue is the best breed. I love that. (laughs) Karen Rhodes adopted one of the home's long-term residents, Homer, in 2006 and describes him as the love of her life. Thankful to the dog's home for saving her precious boy's life, Karen started volunteering and ended up on the board and subsequently president. Karen then adopted Bronson, who's Perth's most handsome man, and then Harley, who now shares her home with. Karen's background is marketing and advertising, and she has helped to build the brand of the home into what it is today. So it's great to have you, Karen. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Karen, to start off, can you tell us a bit more about the Dogs Refuge Home's history Sure. So it started off, there was an amazing lady called Constance Horrocks and she lived in Cottesloe and she would see all of these dogs, she called them waifs and strays, that basically had nowhere to go. So they were collected back then and unfortunately just taken and put to sleep. And she did some research and found in all the other states across Australia, they all had a refuge. And so she wrote a letter to the West Australian and said, it's about time we sort of came up to speed and we got a refuge here too. And she organised a meeting with some of her friends in her house in Cottesloe um, and literally 18 months later the refuge was opened in 1935. Oh wow so it's been at Shenton Park since 1935? Absolutely. Okay I I wasn't sure if it started at her home or not but. No no it started there so she obviously had to get the funds together and get an army of a committee together to make sure it happened. It was opened by the then um, Sir Governor I think his name was um, Sir James Mitchell. He was the then Lieutenant Governor um, and he opened the home and we didn't have that many kennels back then and it was sort of obviously nothing like it is today. Um, But yeah, it's just grown over the years. Oh, amazing, amazing. So Karen, if you can talk more about rescue dogs in particular and what defines one and how are they different and, and why are they so important to us? Okay, so we take dogs from lots of regional councils, local councils, and we take surrenders. So any dog that generally they've never done anything wrong. They've just been owned by someone who is irresponsible um, and it was part of sort of an overbreeding. So people who didn't really need a dog, they just sort of thought it was a good idea to have one for a short amount of time and then they gave up on it. 
that's some of the dogs we get in. Some of them have been abused, sadly, and some of them at the moment are just surrendered because of the housing crisis. Um, at the moment, we're definitely seeing more and more dogs just coming in through no fault of their own. They're just being surrendered because their owners can no longer afford to have them. Whereas previously over the years, we've collected them, like I say, from regional pounds and um, from local pounds, especially in the regions, they don't seem to have the, um, the, the sort of numbers to be able to adopt. So we fly dogs down from Broome, for example, it's a very transient population there. They don't have the ability to adopt out dogs. So we'll take them from all over the state. Wow. They've never done anything wrong. Um, we just feel they deserve that second chance. Mm. You know, they might have been left in a backyard and barked a lot, so their owner dumped them. Well, they, it's because they've been left in a backyard with no enrichment. Um, so there really is nothing terribly wrong with them. They've just been given up on once. Yes, some of them might have issues, but it's because they weren't trained when they first, um, you know, bought as a pet shop puppy, um, left in a backyard, no training, develop a few behavioural issues, and instead of those being addressed, it's easier just to sort of discard the dog. Um, so rescue dogs, really, they're just begging for that second chance. And we always say a rescue dog loves you more. You know, you sort of get a puppy from a pet shop and they're sort of good, used to the good life. And when a dog gets rescued, you can honestly feel they know they've been given that second chance and they just love you because they haven't really, I suppose, felt the love previously. Yeah. Um, and it's just an amazing feeling to give a dog a second chance. Oh, that's stunning. How, and how, how are you funded? Um, is well, it government grants or No, we're pretty donations? well entirely self-funded. So we get a small amount from the government. We get $75,000 a year. Um, that covers probably a third of our vet bills. Our vet bills are 250. And then we've got staff because obviously we're a seven-day-a-week operation. The dogs don't go home on weekends or public holidays, so we've got to pay for the staff to be there. Um, we have about 300 volunteers who come in and walk the dogs, and really we survive on fundraising and bequests, so people remembering us in their will. That's the only way we're here today and the only reason we've managed for 85 years. Gosh, OK, OK. So that's that's great for listeners to, mm. to, to know of that. Um, so what impact... And it sounds huge. Have you found rescue dogs um, have on families and individuals who adopt them? Well, we always ask for success stories because there is that perception that a rescue dog, there's something wrong with it. So we're always trying to get success stories from people to say, you know, tell us how the dog settled in and how much it's changed your life. And the amount of times that people come back and say, I rescued that dog and that dog rescued me right back. And they have given me more than I've ever given it, you know, and we hear it time and time again. So that real feeling of they didn't really have much to live for or they were in a bit of a depression. All of a sudden they get a dog. They sort of have they feel like they have to take it out for walks because they owe it to the dog. They meet some people. They get talking. It gets them out. Mm -hmm. They have some exercise. It makes them feel good. And all of a sudden they've got a reason for living or it brings together a family who haven't really bonded before. And all of a sudden, you know, they've got this one thing in common, which is this dog that they all adore. Yes. Um, so, yeah, the success stories that we've got are just so heartwarming. Yeah, and because just in preparation for today's interview, I, 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 there was a lot of research in regard to how, um, you know, dogs and cats, but pets, mm. um, the impact it has on um, mental health, like depression, oh. anxiety, it kind of really gets the... Um, uh, you know, the feel-good hormones going and um, incredible impact. Absolutely. Like, you know, some you hear some people say, oh, I'm depressed or I'm bored. 
I, I've never been bored because I just think there's a hundred dogs to walk at the dog's home. There's another however many out there that need saving. There's some more money that needs to be raised. You know, if you've got something to live for, you've got a passion. It's just amazing. It's an amazing feeling giving back to these being a voice, for, I suppose, for these dogs that don't have a voice mm. and definitely seeing the impact that they have on others when they're adopted out and they come back in for a visit and you can just see the smiles on their faces, on the owners' faces, just so, yeah, so rewarding. And like you say, from a mental health point of view, just um, really does sort of build that resilience. You sort of look at a dog that's been through goodness knows what and some of ours have been treated really badly and they come in and they're so forgiving, like I wouldn't be that forgiving. I believe in an eye for an eye, so I <laughs> would not do it. And after about five or ten minutes of them realising, okay, this person's not going to hit me or abuse me, they just turn into this loving creature that just wants to be loved. And I look at that and think, God, they deserve that second chance. And someone out there, by giving them that second chance, really will feel the rewards are just, uh, you know... Yeah. Insurmountable. Yeah, priceless. Mm. So if if any of our listeners wanted to volunteer or, yep. um, you know, have the, uh, the home as in part of their will or whatever that might be, mm. how, how do they go about that? The best place is to go to our website, okay. which is dogshome.org.au. And there's information there about, first of all, all the dogs that are available for adoption. Um, if you can't adopt but you want to foster, there's information there about fostering. Um, you know, if you can't commit to the, the lifetime of a dog, um, there's information about volunteering. So we always need dog walking volunteers, but we've got quite a large um, premises. Our grounds are 5.5 acres, so we always need help with gardening. We need help in the office answering the phones. Um, if someone does want to donate, obviously we always need donations. So there's area ways you can donate on the website, whether it's cash, which is great, whether you want to become a caring friend. Um, if you just want to donate, you know, food for the dogs or bedding for the dogs, we've got a wish list of things that we need. And we always say, if you can't do any of that, just spread the word about the work that we do and if you know anybody who's in the market for a dog please encourage them to give a dog a second chance mm. um, it's just like I say the best most rewarding feeling in the world Beautiful. and everyone can do something you, mm. you know there's those five things go to our website find out more about us um, we've got a Facebook site we're starting to get up to nearly 90,000 followers now um, so we're all excited about wow. that in fact we're over 90,000 I think we're heading for the 100,000 um, so you know follow us on Facebook and share some of the dogs that we've got down there or some of the stories, the success stories, and there's plenty of those. Oh, fantastic. So mm. you said fostering. So what mm. would that look like? What does fostering a dog compare to adopt? Like adopting would be more permanent, I would yes. imagine. Yeah. So fostering, foster? yeah. yeah, we cover all the costs. So dogs come in and sometimes they don't cope because they're stressed in the kennel or they've got to have some medical treatment, whether it's just their sterilisation, whether they've come in um, with a, you know, cruciate um, ligament damage so they've then got to have an operation and need to be crate crated and that's obviously not ideal for them to be in kennel so someone comes in they foster the dog for that period we pay for all the medical we pay for the food and they just keep them in the home until they're ready to be adopted oh. we sadly get lots of dogs in who are pregnant um, and obviously it's the worst place to give birth when there's another hundred dogs barking their heads off so we get those mums out on foster and you know when they've given birth then they have to look after the pups for eight weeks until they're ready for adoption so always always looking for foster carers and on that I have to say there's not enough people sterilizing their dogs because if there were then there wouldn't be all these unwanted pregnancies and you know mm -hmm. dogs ending up at pounds pregnant. 
Yeah, of course, of course. I can't. I'm. I'm. I'm kind of um, imagining that um, fosterers would quickly become adopters. <laughs> yes, we call them foster fails, uh, and we have foster lo- fails. <laughs> yes, and we have lots of foster fails. They're great, um, and we all also have, have some people who say, "I can't ever foster again," because giving the dog back was al- almost like giving up on it. Um, so some people are great. We've got some foster carers who we just give. You know, our dogs challenge dogs too and they keep them and turn them around and you know there's a few tears and then they're ready for the next one I have to say I'd struggle I don't think I could do it so yeah lots of foster fails are that <laughs> that's the best sort of failure isn't that's it that's right yes <laughs> um and and finally Karen how, how do you feel resilience has played a role in your organization across the team your volunteers as well as your rescue dogs Well, I think, I mean, the fact that we're here at all, thanks to that amazing lady back then who had, you know, no money and just an idea and a passion. And and really, we're here today because of that, you know. Um, So I think we've shown resilience over the years without question as an organisation. Our volunteers and our staff are there day in, day out. You know, we're there on Christmas Day, we're there on New Year's Day. um, And all of our volunteers, whether it's rain, hail or shine, you know, the weekend is forecast awful. I can tell you now I'll be there with another 40 or so volunteers getting the dogs out and walking them. Yeah. And you just sort of push through. You've got to be resilient because the dogs deserve it. Yes. They deserve it. And they show us their resilience. Like I could go on all day with stories about dogs who are resilient. We had one that um, she was actually adopted. She was on her way to Geraldton. The owner stopped at Caterby train station. Caddaby Roadhouse just to sort of have a, a break and the dog freaked out and escaped and ran off into the bush. We looked for that dog for three months. We drove there every single day for about three weeks and then it got down to every second day and every week. There was an army of us and we were going and deep down we knew, you know, how on earth is she going to survive? And after three months, that dog was found. Oh, my god! I know, by the rangers, um, in a, an abandoned car, because it's just, I don't know if you've been to Catterby, I'd never been before. There's literally a roadhouse, that is it, and bush. And there's a mine site, and we were in touch with them. And she came in, and I just think, God, that shows three months. Somehow she survived out there. I have no idea how. But she, it was worth us going looking every single day. Um, That's extraordinary. I know. And we always underestimate the, you know, the strength of our dogs. We had a long-termer who'd been with us for ages, Mikey, one of my favourite dogs, and he just couldn't cope in the kennel. So we had some foster carers who would take him. They did FIFO, so they were there one week and off the next. And so he was the happiest dog in Perth one week and the saddest dog the other. He was in kennel and not happy and... Eventually, after lots and lots of tries, they then ended up getting a job in Singapore and saying, God, what are we going to do? He's now never going to have that week off. So this amazing guy just said, right, that's it. I'm going to fly him to the UK to live with my parents. And we're like, there's no way he will make that journey. I'm telling you now, no way. And he knew it too because he knew he had really bad separation anxiety. So he organised to fly from Perth to Singapore. At Singapore, he organised a horse crate. He paid for a horse crate to get in the horse crate with Mikey and then travel in the horse crate with Mikey to the UK. 
And we're still saying what? he's not going to do it. He's not going to even get from Perth to Singapore because that's, you know, six, seven hours in a flight and then he's got to be on the floor, the tarmac. No, no. Anyway, this guy went ahead. So none of us slept three days and I'm thinking, okay, something's gone terribly wrong. I called him and texted him for three days and there was nothing. And then finally he called me with the story. So he'd got to Perth Airport. The flight that they were on to Singapore had engine problems and was cancelled and so they were booked on a later flight, but they'd missed the connection in Singapore with the horse crate. So I have no idea how Mikey did a 40-odd-hour journey in a crate. This is a dog that is hates being on his own, can't oh, cope, God. can't cope. Somehow got to the UK and just apparently got out of the aircraft, got out and was sort of looking at my, my Tom, who was waiting for him, and just said, get me out of here. Oh. <laughs> and Tom said he got in the back of the car with him and his parents are driving and he said you could see Mikey's face just like, what have you just put me through? I still can't believe he did it. Oh, wow. And then Tom said, the f he thought, right, we've got to settle him. And whenever they used to pick him up on their um, week off, yeah. they'd always take him through McDonald's as a treat. And so he said, right, go to McDonald's. And he said, Mikey sort of drove through McDonald's. He said, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is familiar. I've been here before. <laughs> and he got him his six chicken nuggets and he had that. And then he, amazing. he slept for the rest of the journey home and he now lives, and he'd got, become really dog reactive. He now lives with two other dogs on a mansion in the UK with horses and pheasants. His best friend is a pheasant and the other dogs. Lives this amazing <laughs> life. And I thank God for four days we all stressed and worried he won't make it, he won't make it, he won't make it. They are so oh, incredibly no. resilient and that will do whatever they, tr they put their trust in us and we've got to be resilient back for them. We've just got to keep going and saving these dogs because yeah. every single one of them is worth it. Absolutely. We've got to have their backs, don't we? We do, yeah. yeah. And I've got a hundred other Mikey stories that I won't bore you with today, but oh, they're no, just all, all of them, you know, they come in, like I say, one dog came in really badly abused and you could just see the look of fear on her face. Mm. And once she realised she could trust us, just sort of came into her own. And I think, you know, she deserves... She deserves us to fight for her. Yeah, they all do. Yeah. And will continue to. It's such heart-centred work, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but amazing and totally. so fulfilling. Yeah. Um, like, I, I'm a volunteer there, but I feel honoured and privileged to be a volunteer. And mm. I feel privileged to volunteer alongside other volunteers who do as much, if not more, than me. We've got someone who turned 85 last week, one of our oldest volunteers, and he's there on the dingo three days a week helping move mulch around and he's fixing things and, you know, just an amazing community. If a dog goes missing, it's the staff and the volunteers and we do a roster and we all go out looking for the dogs and, mm -hmm. you know, band together. So it's like a second family and an amazing place. Beautiful, beautiful. It's It's been such a delight having you here today. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great talking Thank to you. Brilliant. Thank you.